Good morning. It really is good to be with you this morning. I actually had some really nice things um, to say about Stephen as well, but now that he said that, all that, I'll just move on. Um, no, in all seriousness, if you're here and you're checking things out, this is a, a new experience for you. You haven't been to this church or maybe just been one or two times. Uh, let me ask you a favor this morning, and that favor is simple. I want you to uh, check this church out again, right? Like, uh, check it out next week as well, um, because the reality is that um, Stephen, who was just up here, he's a very uh, gifted uh, teacher of the scriptures. He has an ability to break down the scriptures in ways that you and I can um, comprehend and receive God's word. And so um, that's, a, that's a true fact. He often helps me when I preach and teach. I run my thoughts by him. And he, too, has been a real dear friend to me. And he promised me that uh, he'd pay me for saying that. So um, I'm so glad you laughed. Because <laughs> as soon as I, I was thinking, man, if they don't laugh, I shouldn't have said that. But whew. All right. Um, but not only Stephen, um, the leadership of this church I've gotten to know over the last three years that we've been here, some more than I would like to get to know. Um, some of the elders, maybe like Mr. M uh, Judge McCurin there. And um, uh, Bill is, a, uh, is our board chairman for Campus Outreach, so I've gotten to know him uh, on a very personal level, him and Dana. Uh, but this church is full of leaders that really do love God, that love the gospel, that want to see that love spread throughout the city. And so if you're here and checking things out, really encourage you to come back. Enough about this church. Let's jump into Mark 10. Um, we are, have been in a series, and I do say we because Stephen's been uh, telling me about this series, about following greatness. And for us to get started this morning, I had this thought. I, I want to ask you to, uh, in a sense, get your heart engaged uh, about you in light of this text, right? And I want to ask you just three questions. And behind each of these personal questions is maybe a question behind the question. So the first question I want to ask about you to think about uh, internally is this. What do you want? Right? Like, what is it that you want? What is it that you want in life? What are your desires? Um, what are your deep uh, heart longings? Right? Like, what is it that, you're, uh, that you want at work? Maybe it's something that you want uh, from a family member. Maybe it's just simply, uh, this is what I'd love to see happen in my life financially. Um, but if you really um, are honest with yourself, what is it that you really truly want in this life, right here, right now? The question behind this question really is this. How aware are you of your own desires? Like, like how cognizant are you uh, that, man, this is really what I desire? Or have you kind of stuffed your deep desires uh, and just put it away and just try not to think about it and just try to do life? Um, so what is it that you want? How aware are you of, of those desires? The second question is... Um, what is it that you are pursuing, right? Like, what is it that you're after? What is it that you're asking for, that you're inquiring about, that, that your life pursuit is kind of moving in that direction? Now, that might seem very similar to the first question, what is it that you want? But it's, it's a step deeper, isn't it? Because you can have wants and just do nothing with them, right? And you can have wants and do nothing with them, or you can really begin to seek um, to find those wants found, right? Like, um, that you may... Um, basically go after those things. Um, so what are you uh, asking for in an audacious way, right? Um, what in the last seven days have you just thought, man, I'm, I'm going to pursue really um, hard after, or maybe it's been the last seven years, 
um, what is it that you're asking for? And maybe the, the question behind this question would be, what do your requests say about the one you're requesting it from, right? What, what does it say about the, the one that you're requesting it from? In other words, if you're a child here and you're asking of a parent something, what does it say that you're asking? Um, what does it say about your thoughts towards your parent? Or if you're an employee and your boss, you're thinking, I really want to ask for, for a raise, right? Like, what does that say outside of you're probably not getting paid enough, right? Like, it, it probably says something about your employee. Uh, last question. Who do you know is the most audacious, like, pursuer of their wants, right? Like, who at work or in, in your family or in life seems to be the most driven, the most ambitious, the one that really is willing to do whatever it takes to get what they want? And the question behind this question is, what do you really think about them? Think about it for a second. What is it you really think about them? Maybe that person is yourself, right? Like you are the one who really goes after everything you want and you think about yourself and you think, man, I'm, I'm a really great person and um, I wish the world was full of more people like me. Um, not too many because then they would want the things I want and there'd be a, a, a lot of competition. Uh, maybe that person's your boss and their wants and their desires and their drive trickles down to you and you carry a weight, right, of those things. Maybe it's... Um, a sibling, oftentimes we see this in, in siblings, that they seem to go after what they want and what you feel and experience from a friend or a sister or brother is a, a strong sense of comparison, competition, because um, they're after things and they're driven and they're ambitious and, and you're there just kind of in the midst of their drive, right? Well, what I find in this text this morning, what I want to jump into is this idea of ambition, this idea of like a, a person's drive Oftentimes, um, I don't hear about this when it comes to Christianity. I hear about uh, ambition or see things in sports or in business and in those uh, areas. But oftentimes, I don't often hear um, about ambition in the church. And as I began to look at Mark 10, that's what really came off the pages to me. This idea of true greatness, right? Following greatness um, in in the midst of uh, ambition and drive and desire. So um, in this series and following greatness... Stephen and others have walked you alongside this 100-mile journey from Galilee to Jerusalem that Jesus is taking with his disciples, right? And he's teaching them about the kingdom. He's teaching about what is about to come. He's teaching them about the kingdom that's a paradoxical kingdom, right? Um, That the world will give us a definition towards greatness or power and those sorts of things, and it's not the kingdom way, that there's a paradox, that oftentimes that the way up is the way down, that the way towards greatness isn't self-exaltation, but rather servanthood. Um, so he's teaching about the kingdom. And throughout this time, as you were walking through Mark 8 and Mark 9 and Mark 10, we've, we see Jesus teaching them about what's about to happen because he's really modeling in his life, his laying down of his life, um, the simple fact that the path towards greatness is a paradox from what we see in this world. Um, and he, he's beginning to teach them and say, hey, there's some things that are about to happen to me, right? I'm about to be falsely accused. I'm about to be tortured. I'm about to be beaten. I'm, I'm about to be sentenced to death. And at first, the disciples just won't have anything to do with it. They just rebuke him, right? Mark 8, 31 He says, and he began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So the first time Jesus brings this up, in a sense, 
they're not willing to hear it, right? Oftentimes, we, uh, we take things in based on our process or our own experiences, right? It's difficult uh, at times to, to know, to see things outside the lens of what we've already experienced, and that's what's happening with the disciples here. Um, and I love what Jesus says. He says, look, your mind is not on the things of, of God, but your, your, your mind is on the things of man. I have a different path, right? I have a different journey for you. So that's the first time. And then a chapter later in Mark 9, we see that um, he's going on into Galilee. Verse 31, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask. So they go from rebuking him to, in a sense, just kind of silence and just, you know, bewilderment. Like, what? Now, seriously? Like, you're, you're going to die here? Like, I thought we're setting up the kingdom and you're going to rule and you're going to reign, right? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Um, finally, um, we see in the text that we have before us that Jesus is teaching them again. And, and this is, in a sense, the backdrop. In verse 33, he says, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to the death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So this, is, in a sense, is the backdrop to where we find ourselves, this walking and talking and teaching and discipling and preparing them for his imminent death and his resurrection. And I find it fascinating that... Um, Jesus was so specific here, right? Like, it's fascinating that he actually knows the, the details of what is about to come, that, that he's foretelling um, his own death and his own um, imminent, um, the danger that's coming. And we get a glimpse into the divine nature of Jesus here, that he really was God and he really could see into the future with crystal clarity, and he was really preparing his disciples for that. So that's where we find ourselves as we jump into kind of the meat of this text. And so they go from rebuking to silence to, in a sense, it seems like they're almost changing the subject, right? Like, let's change the subject here, because this, this you dying doesn't make any sense to us. And so that's where we find ourselves. Um, verse 35, listen with me as I read. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Since I don't know many of you, I don't know if um, you've been around children and, and just children in their developmental years, but as one who has um, an eight, a six, and a two-year-old, um, we are in this in interesting stage with our six and our eight-year-old, and I think that there's a, a, a developmental stage that happens where little, at least for us and little boys, um, they get to an age where they begin to realize, like, they can be clever, right? Like, they can, um, they can say things and manipulate things to kind of get something, and they're like, wow, that worked. We should try that again, right? Um, that oftentimes with my boys, I, I see them kind of, like, extending the relational uh, boundaries a little bit and uh, pushing into um, and saying, you know, what, how far can I go? What, what can I get away with here, Right? And, um, and it's fascinating to watch their, their interactions. And, and this happened recently for me. My um, six-year-old, it was early in the morning, came up to me, woke me up, and he says, Dad, I, I need you to uh, do something for me today. And I'm, you know, groggy, and I'm thinking, yeah, what, what is it that you need, buddy? Um, he said, I need you to promise me you'll do something. And I'm like, okay, what is it? And then I'm like, wait, wait a second. What, what am I about to step into here? 
And um, what is it that you want exactly? He says, uh, and, it, and it really wasn't a request at this point. It, it kind of turned into a demand. And, um, and, it, and it, it really felt like um, that Star Wars moment. Like, um, and this is what he said to me. He said, um, he said I'm going to play more video. Uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play more iPad video games today. I'm going to get 20 minutes instead of 15. And uh, it was more of a demand. And I... I was kind of waking up, and I thought, this feels like a Star Wars moment, right? Like, these aren't the droids you're looking for, right? Like the, um, the Jedi mind trick. And, um, and I thought, wow, he's playing the Jedi mind trick on me, and it's about to work if I don't wake up. And, um, and I'm thinking to myself, man, what have I done here? Like, what kind of dad uh, ha- am I? And, um, you know, I've somehow created this rewards-based, because he goes on to explain to me that he's been a really good kid and all the good things that he's been doing. And I've thought, I've, I've created some sort of performance reward system here, right? And he, and he kind of doesn't look at me as a dad anymore, but more like a, like a relational ATM, you know? Like, if I can just um, click the right things, he's going to just, you know, dad's going to give me what I want, right? Um, that there was, like, just manipulation. And, and when we look at James and John, this is exactly what we see here, too, isn't it? I mean, we are miles away from the story, right? Both in culture and time. And as you're reading it, you can go, man, I, I see them coming to manipulate Jesus. Uh, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, right? Go ahead and give me the answer, and then we'll tell you what we're going to request of you. Um, when we look at James and John, we begin to think, you know, like, wow, could they not see how manipulative they were, right? Like how arrogant they were, like how audacious of them in a sense to just come to Jesus. It's, it's almost like a subtle relational bullying, you know, like, you know, Jesus, we, we good. So, you know, you, you owe me a few things, right? Um, and my first thought is, I don't really know if I like these two people, right? Like now if I was with them and if I was one of them, then I'd be down with this. Like, let's, let's, yeah, let's see what we can get away with, right? Like, let's extend the boundaries and see what Jesus would, would do for us. <coughs> um, but if I'm just one of the other 10 of the 12 disciples, I'm probably not very happy with them, right? Like, how dare they, like, try to go one up the rest of us? Like, the world says, look out for number one, right? And that's wonderful if you're number one. It's not so wonderful if you're not number one, you're number two and number three, um, that's the world's way of looking at greatness. Jesus had another way. And yet, the more I thought about these two, right, and as clear as their manipulation and their sin and their self-centeredness is, right, well, like, acknowledged, period, absolutely, I think they got a couple things right about Jesus, right? I think they actually got a few things right. The first thing that they got right was they actually came to Jesus with their desires, Right? They came to him with what they wanted, what they were hoping for. Granted, it was self-centered, self-absorbed, right? uh, probably somewhat self-righteous. Um, they came to Jesus with their desires, with their requests. The second thing that I see here is that they saw God, Jesus as who he was, right? And they saw Jesus as a God of yes, not a God of no. Um, that they saw Jesus as one whose heart towards his children is yes, not no. Well, let me explain this um, a little bit further. You and I have the proclivity when we think about God to think, you know what? God is a God of no, right? Like, Lord, is it all right if I can get no, right? Like, uh, well, I have a prayer request, but I just, you know, it's like, no, 
Uh, we kind of assume that Jesus is going to say no to any of our requests or at least a long wait or, in a sense, let me, let me see what you can do to work for it, right? That, that, that's kind of our, our, our proclivity is to think he's a God of no, he's a, he's a dad of no, right? In reality, he's, he's a God of yes. If you don't believe me, uh, think about this for a second. What is the one thing that God told Adam and Eve to do in the garden before the fall? right? Like, what's the one thing he made clear? And for most of us, we think, don't eat of the tree, right? Right? And if you're thinking that way, you're in good company. That's the way I think too often. Um, But the reality is that's only partially true, right? And our mindset is that he's really a God of no, that that, uh, the answer will start with no, and then we'll see if it can work its way out. But the reality is that's not what he says, is it? We look at um, Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took Uh, the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded um, the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. What did he say? Every tree, right? What was the command? Eat freely of the thousands of yeses in the garden, right? Like think about that for a second. The thousands of pineapple trees, right? Free, like I'm a God of yes, those are good for you. Orange trees, like apple trees, like lemon trees, like, like coconut trees, you know, where you can kind of split open, get the coconut water. I don't know if you've ever paid for coconut water these days. It's very, very expensive. It's very good. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've created all these coconut trees for you, and they're a big, huge yes. And in the midst of the thousand yeses, what do you and I look at? The one no, Right? I think James and John got it right. I think they began to realize he's a God of yes, that his heart leaning is to say yes to his children first. Um, And of course, their nose, right, to protect and provide for their children. Um, In the midst of a thousand yeses, you and I um, see the nose. Um, Every tree, just by the way, the word every, you know what it means in in the... um, in, um, in the original text, it means every. Yes, it means all. It means all the trees, except for one. Um, took my Greek scholar right there. I appreciate that. Um, I thought about this in light of uh, parenthood, and, I, and, and my wife and I try to do this, but we, we do not have the heart of God as we would like. And, uh, but oftentimes, I'm, I, I, I want to be a dad of yes, right? Like, I want to start with thousands of yeses to my children, um, and recognizing that there are no's um, because I have a dad in heaven who's a, who's, a, who's, a, who's a God of yes to us, right? What do you want? What are you asking for? What are you pursuing God for? Uh, more importantly, behind that question is, what do you think about the one you're asking from, right? What do, what do those requests say of your own heart and the heart of God for you? Have you stopped asking God for certain things your heart desires because you don't know that his heart towards his children is a huge yes. Um, maybe don't ask because you know that your desires are sinful and, and you're more aware than James and John. Yet, I want you to know that there's something within those desires that I believe is good. Now, there's something that's evil and that there's something that's good. So repent of the evil, but ask, what is the good in my heart in this desire? Right? Like, what is the good in, in this I think James and John, got, James and John, the brothers, got a, a ton of things wrong, but one thing they got right was that God was a God of yes. So let's listen into Jesus' response to their um, request. 
Jesus said to them, verse 38, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism uh, with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. (laughs) And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. You know, I think about this part, I think the, the word that just kind of screams off the page to me is, um, is audacity, right? Like, it's audacious. It's just crazy bold, right? Like, um, <clears throat> that James and John seem to be the most audacious people uh, really in the planet. Uh, and you see that through their request. You, through, you see that through their manipulation. Uh, you see that through their response. Like, yes, yeah, we're able. Yes, um, we can do anything. And, <clears throat> and it's interesting about James and John. They were brothers, James the older, J- uh, John the younger. And, and the nickname that Jesus gave them earlier in, li- in, in the story is that they were sons of thunder, right? In other words, that they were zealous people, that they were passionate. They were impetuous. They were just fervent for the things that they wanted. They, what, they saw what they wanted, they went and got it. In Luke um, 9, there's a story of, um, of the disciples going through Samaria, um, Samaria, and they stopped to spend the night there, and the people of Samaria says, nah, you ain't staying here, right, because you're Jewish, and there was racial tension that was going on. And James's response is, uh, looks to Jesus, he says, I want to th- pour down fire and consume these people, <laughs> right? Like, so you see the kind of person that James was. Um, in a sense, if Peter were the first to put his foot in his mouth, well, these two brothers, James and John, they were the first to put their foot on someone else's mouth, right? They were fighters first, right? Um, they, would, um, they, would, they were probably racist, right? They probably were self-seeking. They were definitely competitive. They were kind of one-upping with the other 10 when they were outside. They pulled Jesus aside and, and they try to just kind of uh, inch their way up to the top. Um, their desire to win was probably only surpassed by their desire to beat you as they won, right? Um, and I think to myself, where does this come from, right? Well, I think one angle to look at it um, outside of their sinful hearts is probably that this was par- part of their family, right? All in the family. Um, as you look at these stories as, um, from the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus in the Bible, they're, they're in a section called the Gospels. Uh, the three bo- four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each of the books tell many of these stories, and they're like um, two different kind of uh, additions to the same story, right? They're, they're two uh, angles taken at the, at the same story. It's almost as if um, CNN is reporting on something and Fox News is reporting on something. You get a su- subtle nuance to the story, but you get the essence of the story. Well, that happens in Matthew as well. So you get a, an angle at the story from Matthew chapter 20 that's a little bit different, and we see some more insight. In Matthew 20, this is what it says. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. So we begin to realize th- th- this runs in the family, right? <laughs> like the mother of Zebedee's sons, sons come to Jesus, right? You know what else runs in the family? this kind of subtle relational bullying or manipulation. Um, you see the parallel manipulation that's going on? Like the, the sons are saying, grant to us one at your right hand, the other at your left in your glory. It's almost like, let me just tack in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, this is about your glory. Let me throw that in there, right? Well, the, the mom kneels down, 
And you can see it. You can just envision this, right? Like um, taking Jesus by the hand and saying, look, Jesus, these are my boys. You know, like um, look after my boys, would you? I mean, I mean, what kind of mom would I be if I didn't come and just ask, put them right next to you, right? Like, like give, them, give them the power, the powerful positions, right? Uh, moms, just be aware that your seemingly selfless desire for your child's success uh, might be a sophisticated, self-centered, self-glory that you need to repent of, okay? Um, now, that is a great sermon for Mother's Day. And um, where are you? There you go. So um, I can see all the moms just cursing me. They're like, that's why you didn't bring your wife today. And, uh, but seriously, moms, be aware that, that what seems like selfless desire for your child's success really might be self-glory, right? And repent and return to your Savior who loves and is willing and excited to say yes as you return back to um, them. Um, you know what's more audacious than James and John in this passage? I think it's Jesus himself. I think that he says something here that just blew my mind, and read with me um, his response. You do not know what you are asking. Duh. Um, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I baptized, you will be baptized. I read that, honestly, and I've read the story a bunch of times. I read that and I, uh, just recently, this last um, week. And I said, what? Like, Jesus is, like, did he just say they will do that? Right, like I almost felt like I read it wrong, right? Because um, see, this is how I would have responded to them. These two were very audacious. I think the word that comes to my mind is they were punks, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's an offensive word. I don't mean for it to be offensive to you, because, but that's who they were. They were like two little punks before Jesus, right? And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is what I want to say to them. I'm like, do you have any idea what you're asking of me, right? Um, you can't do that. You're not man enough. You're not strong enough. You're not spiritual enough, right? You're so self-absorbed right now. You're so ambitious, and, and all you want is for your own good, right? Um, and yet, that's not what Jesus says, is it? It blows my mind. He says, you will drink the cup, right? This is the cup of wrath. This is the cup of suffering, right? This is the cup. Jesus said, please take this away from me, God the Father. And he says, no, right? <clears throat> um, you see, just as Jesus was able to look into his own future and tell you with crystal clarity of his, of his imminent death, right, um, that the divine nature of Jesus comes out here and he looks into the future of these two young punks and he speaks into their life and who they're becoming. He has such unbelievable hope for them, right? Not who they are in the moment, but he knows who he's going to make them into, right? Um, he has unbelievable, like, he sees into their glory self, like who they were meant to be, right, in all their glory, not the, the punks before them. He was taking their ambition, right, and their drive and turning it and transforming it into his kingdom way. Um, they wanted power. They wanted position. They wanted uh, like a, a cabinet position in the new world order of the kingdom that Jesus was going to come to rule over, right? And yet they missed it. It wasn't this hostile um, takeover of power and forceful rule. Rather, it was a laying down of their lives towards the path of greatness. Let's keep reading. 
And when the ten heard it, they began to be, to be indignant at James and John. Now, that seems pretty obvious, right? <laughs> like, um, uh, duh, there is a, a clear sense of, like, if you are not one of them, you'd be pretty angry with them and frustrated with them. Like, wow, you're, you're really just here to, to kind of compete with me, right? I think it's Thomas Watson who says that selfish ambition is the, um, is the mother of all schisms, right? Like, your self-centered ambition is kind of the roots, the mother of all uh, relational divides. Um, and Jesus called them, um, I'm sorry, Jesus called them to, to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What Jesus does not um, um, do with their ambition is so powerful. Like, he doesn't reprimand them for their desire, but he just redirects it, right? The world tells us that greatness is ruling over others, right? It's like the more you can kind of rule over, the greater of a person you would be. Jesus says greatness is serving under others, right? You know what happens to James and John later? They go and suffer greatly. They go and um, James is beheaded uh, as he's preaching, and John, the younger brother, actually, uh, he goes on and he dies, one of the only uh, disciples of natural causes. But what goes on with him is, is and many people say, it was even far greater suffering, right? Like he was exiled. He, he wrote uh, a lot of um, first, well, he wrote first John, second John, third John, and then Revelation. And, um, <clears throat> and he goes on and instead of like just experiencing death and moving on to the next life, he, 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 he is alone, and he experiences the hardships of, uh, of being alone and not being uh, to be with Jesus. Um, you know what goes on um, to happen to these two? They go from being the sons of thunder to um, the apostle of love, right? Like when you think about John, you learn so much about love in, in um, first, second, third John. The world tells us that greatness is pursuing your own dreams and your desires for yourself, right? Jesus says, those dreams and desires that I have actually put in you, they have both an evil and a good component to them, right? Um, Repent of the evil and run with all your might to pursue the good. Come to Jesus with those desires, right? Because he's a God of yes, and let him transform those desires, Come in such a way, and here's a hint to know that you're on the right path, that you find yourselves laying your life down for others. Um, let me share a quick story, and I'll make this quick. I actually heard this in a sermon by Tim Keller, and, and I can't remember the reference, so I apologize for that. But he goes on to say, early in his church, um, and a, a lady came to his Sunday evening service. She was an agnostic, and she came through the whole service, and she said you know, to him after the service, um, I want to tell you why I came to your church. And she was a very successful um, a woman in the marketplace. And her boss happened to be an elder and a leader in the church. And I uh, don't remember the details of the story, but basically she goes on and, and loses, she makes a decision that loses her company tons of money, right? Like tons of money. And her boss goes into his boss's office and basically covers for her, right? And, uh, and she is figuring she's going to get fired. She knows this was her doing. 
rather this uh, older guy who was very uh, ambitious and driven and very successful, he went into his boss's office and said, look, it's my fault. We, we made a decision. My team made a decision. It's on me. And he suffered loss in his career, in his reputation through it. And so she walked into his office, closed the door, and says, why did you do that? Right? And he kind of brushes it off at first. And she says, no, 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 no. Everyone in here is after their own good. Why did you do that? I need to understand why you were to go to such extreme to take that one for me. So he uh, subsequently began to share with her about his relationship with God, right? And the way that, that Jesus has taken on um, the sufferings for him. And she found herself at church finding out more about his God, right? I tell you that story um, just to um, simply say to you, friends, there's hope for you and me with Jesus, right? The same Jesus who transformed these two little punks from sons of thunder um, will transform you and I into sons and daughters of love and of glory, right? He uses our ambition. Um, let me do this. Let me pray. And, I, and as I pray, I want you to uh, pray with me. And so if you don't mind bowing your head, and this will um, um, be our, my way of closing and kind of leading you into application. Um, Jesus, there's um, much more to say about your resurrected power here that you did not only die for us, not only lived a righteous life, but resurrected for us. And for those that know you, know this power um, that surpasses knowledge. And so I pray that you would impress your resurrected power on these. If you're here and you're like the two, James and John, more driven, more ambitious. You don't care who you need to run over to get to, top, to the top. Let me tell you what Jesus says to you. Jesus says, I've put deep desire in your heart. I see the evil and the self-exaltation in those desires, and I want you to repent of those things. Um, and yet I also see that there is great desire in you for greater things than yourself. So, Jesus, would you help me um, to be more like that, to lay down my life so that you can raise me up? I want you more than my greatest desire, right? Take my ambition, make much of yourself, make much of others, make much of my company and my church and my city through me and through these desires for your name's sake. And if you're here, you're more like the 10 um, that don't know what to do with desire, that really want to stuff it or just get angry when others really um, go after things that they want, I want you to know that Jesus says to you, I have put deep desire in your heart for, for things of me. Um, and I want to say, repent of going elsewhere with those deep longings, right? Repent of going to yourself, right? Like, and take those requests to God um, and pray and say, God, the God of yes, would you take my desire and do with them as you would please, right? Make much of yourself through me. Be exalted in and through these desires as I look to bless others, bless this church, bless this city for your name's sake. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.